Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome to the Investor Coaching Show. I am Paul Winkler. You are Paul Winkler. And he is Jim Wood. I am Jim Wood. All right. <laughs> you ready? I am. What are you going to talk about? All kinds of good stuff. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> now, <laughs> okay, so um, I thought it was funny. I was, I was just doing a little bit of uh, looking through some things. I don't even know why. Oh, I do know why. I found this one thing because the big one of the big news stories this week that we haven't talked about is the Bitcoin ETF, the spot Bitcoin ETF getting approved. You got a lot of calls, Jim, for like people asking about that kind of stuff. You know, I really don't. I and mean, people bring it up more out of curiosity. Like I heard some about this. Is this something I should know about and, and, you know, and invest in, but it's not like a swarm of people just dying to know what it's about. It's just more curious, maybe a little bit of fear of missing out on something. So they're, they kind of, well, is this something yeah. I should be paying attention to? Well, so have you taken like an Uber ride where the driver brings it up? Or... <laughs> no, but I don't take a lot of Uber rides, so I can't say that couldn't happen. But um, yeah, I, I just think, you know, in, in general, it's nothing, whether it's this, this ETF or just the, the you know, um, Bitcoin, that the other, you know, currency, cyber currencies and stuff like that. I think people are just that aren't in it are curious because there's a certain sensationalism about them. People that are doing it want other people to do it because then that helps the prices go up. And it also, you know, kind of makes that, that herd mentality of like, everybody's doing it. You should do it. Yeah. There's some actor. I don't even know who it is. He's like gray hair, beard, mustache, and he looks very sophisticated. You know, my friends, what's interesting these days Bitcoin, you know, something like that. I, I, there was some commercial someplace. That, oh, we don't. I haven't seen that. I, I'm I, sure I know yeah, the actor. Yeah, you would know. Like, <laughs> I, I, I have a clue who anybody is when it comes to acting, but I, I recognize him. You know, it's this, my friend. He always calls people my friend. In the, in the, <laughs> I only see him in commercials. I don't, because I don't watch movies. Uh, he may say that in movies as well. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it's... Um, I think for, you know, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because a lot of people have heard me talk about this significantly, but this was big news this week. And then you had this big jump in value. And I've, I've said that, you know, that Bitcoin, gold, commodities, silver, uh, those types of things, you know, are not by definition, by academic def definition investments because there's no cost of capital. Nobody's paying to use your money. It goes up and down based on supply and demand. But this becoming a... Uh, an ETF, an exchange traded fund, you know, so you have mutual funds and you want to just kind of walk people through what a mutual fund is versus an ETF. Well, a mutual fund is just a basket of stocks and it can be covering a whole area of the market. It can be the manager's favorite picks. They want to pick, try to pick the best ones and avoid the losers, that type of thing. But it's a pool investment and a mutual fund, um, the price, the net asset value closes at the end of the day. So you can't trade it like stocks. If you sell it, you get the end of the day price. Mm -hmm. An exchange traded fund, on the other hand, is also a basket of companies 
typically, but that trades like a stock. So you can trade it instantly. And it, you know, some of the taxation, uh, there's a, there's some differences and things like that. But to me, that's the main difference right. is what price you get when you sell it. Do you get the current price or do you get the price at the end of the day? Yeah. And you had John Bogle was founder of Vanguard actually they are one of the biggest purveyors of ETFs now, and he was one of the biggest critics of them, not liking them. And the reason being, not necessarily that ETFs are bad. There are certain areas that it works okay, and, and I, you know, there are certain market segments that I would be fine with. Like for example, large U.S. stocks, fine. ETF works fine in that particular area of the market. Large international growth uh, companies, particularly, and emerging markets growth. Uh, a lot of areas right now, there, there just aren't ETFs that I'm crazy about for different market segments, like small and small value and international small and, and you know, so on and so forth. But, um, but the reason that, that Vogel was so against them is that he was of the opinion, and rightly so, that people would use them as a gambling instrument if they were able to trade these things in the middle of the day. And that's the biggest problem with investors. If you look bar none, one of the biggest issues that we see as far as investors getting really bad returns historically is because of the way they approach investing as more of a gambling experiment more than anything. You know, trying to t get you know, do things that they shouldn't really be doing. Right. And there's also make it even worse. Not only can you just, you can gamble like what you're saying with just the more standard ones that are following traditional indexes, but they also have more, you know, kind of esoteric ETFs or where like leverage you can, you know, buy right. two or three times right. leverage of the daily price movement, which people will definitely use to gamble and speculate and try to capture, you know, big upswings. But you can also capture the big downswings and you can get, you know, you can just you can get, get destroyed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, with uh, one, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about how Bitcoin ETFs work. And they were talking about, you know, it's a fund that holds Bitcoin for investors. And the term spot is, that's the big deal. And that the ETF can actually physically hold Bitcoin, whereas previous ones, because you go, well, aren't there other ones out there having their brand? And yeah, the answer is yes. And they've been dealing with derivatives. And when you hear the term derivative, it basically means that the asset's value is derived from the underlying holdings. So you might have puts or calls or different options contracts or futures contracts and things like that. And you're not holding the asset directly. If you have an option on a particular company, an option to buy a call option, uh, its value is derived based on the underlying asset. And you know, options, it's interesting because people use options to try to reduce risk of a portfolio, to try to, to protect themselves against downside risk. They may have uh, puts. And, you know, options to sell at certain prices to try to protect themselves from downside risk. And that's why a lot of times you'll see when you when you see these commercials for these these mutual funds, we attempt to capture the upside return of the market without having the downside. You know, that's why they use words like that, as you like to call them weasel words. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, but, you know, with that those types of options, those options tend to be more expensive during market volatility periods. And so that's what can make it even more of a of subject to loss is because let's say when things are, you're trying to really protect yourself from, from downside risk and you're saying, well, I want to own an option and put, you know, a, a put option to protect myself from downside risk. And what you do is you, also protect yourself from upside return because of the cost of buying the put option. And when markets are more volatile, those things cost even more. 
So, you know, the reality of it is they can, markets can be volatile both ways. They can be volatile up and down. And when you have upside volatility, which is the kind that nobody worries about, that's when the put options can cost more money and thereby that takes down more of your return. That can take more of your return away because you have that cost. So that when you're trying to get something to protect yourself against that downside volatility, you take away a lot of the upside return by paying more. And you know, it, so in essence, what I want you to get is that these options can be pretty expensive. Well, what happened with the big deal was so they had a, a Bitcoin ETF that was based on the underlying asset. Now the thought process was now this would make it more democratic, more people would buy it. So you didn't have to have an account. You didn't have to have, you know, like, like a little bank account or anything to hold your Bitcoin anymore. You could just go buy the ETF. And of course there's a management fee with that. But it was the idea that you would make it so that more people could get it. And, you know, when this has happened in the past, what has happened where you've opened up something like this that people didn't previously buy, you'd have this upswing in the short run where people got excited about it. And then all of a sudden that would go away. And, you know, there's a matter of fact, that was one of the topics of conversation on the financial channels this week. Is it going to follow the trend of past things that have been put out there that people didn't used to be able to buy? They buy it, it goes up in value and then comes crashing down. I don't know, but I wouldn't hold it anyway. But I think the thing, the thing to keep in mind is this. It says the Securities and Exchange Commission opened the door to ETFs that hold Bitcoin futures, type of derivative that tracks the price of digital currency, but the SEC resisted allowing spot Bitcoin ETFs to actually hold bit that actually hold bitcoins and the agency justified its stance by arguing that one spot Bitcoin market was that it was susceptible to market manipulation. Now, if that's the case, I mean, we look back through history, there were periods in time when the gold market was manipulated. There was one guy, we were talking about this story, Jim, in, this, in the office this week. Uh, there was this guy that was actually tried to manipulate or did, you know, manipulate the gold market back in the 1800s. Hmm. <laughs> His life ended. <laughs> People weren't too happy about that. And then I brought up they, the... <laughs> they dealt with things harshly in those days. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, he, yeah, it didn't, uh, he didn't last long. <laughs> but, um, but, but back to this, in this particular case, if it can be manipulated, I mean, there's another thing to, to be concerned about. But it says advocates for crypto investing said it was illogical to allow Bitcoin futures-based ETFs but not allow spot Bitcoin ETFs. One fund manager sued the agency, winning a court ruling in August that pressured the SEC to allow spot Bitcoin ETFs. Now, let me just make this point. The investment industry, they will put together anything you will buy. Recognize that if there's a demand for something, there'll be an ETF put together, whether it's good for you or not. They are not necessarily your friends. I mean, think of some of the questionable investment strategies of the past. Tech funds. You know, the tech funds that were so hot in the late 90s. Uh, hedge funds. Funds of funds with hedge funds, let's say. You look at that. Uh, you look at gold ETFs, sector funds, and demographic funds. Limited partnerships, things like, you know, all kinds of things that uh, people did, you know, for supposed tax benefits that ended up blowing up. I mean, there's, there's always something that they're going to try to sell you that has a really great sounding story. Mm -hmm. But you look into it and a lot of people just don't recognize, you know, what the real issues are. Yeah, you know, it's funny because what led me as I was reading this, it led me to look up another, uh, I was looking for something out there, questionable funds or something like that. I was looking for examples 
of questionable things that have been put together by the investment industry in the past. And I ran across an article, the worst performing mutual funds of 2023. Hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm going through this list of the worst performing mutual funds and they have you know the top 15 worst funds. And uh, it has, you know, Clearbridge Sustainable Sustainability Leaders Funds was one of the funds. Interesting. Which was investing in the sustainability leaders. In other words, f different companies with high ESG scores. Yeah, yeah. Right? And uh, yeah, that really, that was a dead end. Uh, Oak Tree Emerging Markets Equity Fund was one of the funds. Uh, Shelton, the Sustainable Equity Fund. And that was sustainable in a different way because actually 40% of the holdings were industrial firms, which you'd think sustainability, you would think that it would be more- Yeah, the name doesn't necessarily- you know, Green, then, green yeah. companies, right? So so there, there's an example right there of when you buy a mutual fund, you think you're getting one thing based on the name and you're getting something totally different, right? Yeah. Well, a lot of times too, they, they love to put the word growth in the name of the fund because that just triggers growth. That's what I want. I want growth. <laughs> I want growth. Growth's a good <laughs> thing, isn't it? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, exactly. It's like, I don't want the loser fund. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and same thing with, with high yield, right? Who doesn't want high yield? I don't want low yield, low. I want high yield. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And what's a high yield fund? Yeah, it's junk. Yeah, junk bonds <laughs> would be the actual term that we use uh, to describe high yield bonds. Uh, yeah, yet, I mean, they, they can have decent long-term returns, but they have enormous volatility compared to other types of bonds. And if you're willing to deal with that type of volatility, then you're almost certainly better off in equities. Yeah, exactly. And yet, number 11 on the list was the, the Voya Midcap Opportunities Fund. I think there are a lot of unhappy squirrels <laughs> with a negative twenty percent return. Wow, that wasn't very. Yeah, that wasn't much opportunity, was it? Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't much. And then they had the Green Owl Intrinsic Value Fund was the next one in line as being one of the worst funds of twenty twenty three. Green Owl. Yeah, I think you think owl. You think I mean, wisdom, wise, right? Yeah, yeah right. This was, right. This, <laughs> this, was, this was the party owl. <laughs> the party owl. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine, Voya makes the list again uh, with the global bond fund. Of course, bonds are supposed to be there for what purpose in the portfolio? Well, uh, lots of S words, stability, security, safety. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Stinky was not one of them, but it was down 21%. Wow. And, and that was in 2023 because in 2022, <laughs> obviously, most bond funds were down and, and longer term bonds, things like that were down a bunch. Yeah. But uh, most of them came back a little bit in 2023. Yeah, it, it wasn't good. It wasn't pretty. Uh, the next fund in line of the worst funds, number eight on the list, Avoya again. The squirrels are really <laughs> mad. You see these. If you guys know, know what we're talking about, yeah. you see the commercials for the uh, the Voya, and they got the orange squirrels. And, yeah, the, the or, and is and, that the one with the origami? The origami yes. animals, right? Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, so they have the orange squirrels, and the squirrels are mad because this one lost almost twenty three percent for the year. And then they had the, the Pro Funds was the next fund that was the worst fund of the year. Ultra, ultra sector fund. Now. Talk for a second, Jim, sector funds, uh, why do we avoid those? Well, because you're concentrating your portfolio. And this goes back to, I think, one of the best explanations of this I got from actually was Ken French, with research 
partner mm -hmm. to Nobel Prize winning economist Jean Fama. And mm -hmm. French um, always started out, and I hope I can paraphrase him fairly decently, but it just anytime you're going to change your portfolio from a market portfolio, mm -hmm. you want to have strong academic evidence that there is a good reason for doing that that's going to lead you to higher premiums. Mm -hmm. And of course, then by focusing on just one higher sector, expected returns, their premiums. So what are you talking about? Returns above market. You know, yeah, when you yeah. look at, at premiums is how much is my return above, let's say, a, uh, a T-bill or a treasury bill or something very, very safe. There's a premium to be had or there's a premium of return small company stocks versus large companies historically or value versus growth. So that's premium. Yeah. You want to add either you're getting add return or avoid risk or both essentially. Mm -hmm. So if you make those changes and going into a sector fund means you're concentrating or betting that that one sector is going to outperform, unfortunately, is there's no evidence to say that that's likely to happen, whether your sector that you're concentrating in is, you know, natural resources or if it's energy or whatever that is, because, you know, again, markets being relatively efficient, all the information is already priced in. Anything you know about that, all the other managers, all the other people out there know that as well. So the idea that you're going to pick the good sector above and beyond everybody else starts to fall away. And the evidence certainly supports that that's a strategy not likely to work. And think about it. If you are attracted to a sector, whether it be technology, whether it be something that would be, let's say, um, oh, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, maybe that'd be a big thing that you might be attracted to right now. And let's say that that particular sector that that belongs to, which is technology again, or let's say you're attracted to energy for some reason, energy sector or something like that. What you're doing is you're saying that that is going to be an area that's going to do well going forward. And in essence, you are saying that I think that those companies would like to pay more to use my use your money than other companies, which doesn't make any sense. It's logically inconsistent to say that a company that is poised to do well wants to pay more to use your money. They don't. <laughs> they, they ought to be able to pay less to use your money because they're going to be doing so great that they're a solid, safe bet. And when you have safety, what goes along with safety typically is what? Lower returns. Yeah. So that I, doesn't I always love the phrase risk and return are related. It's easy to remember and it applies, you know, almost across the board. And yeah, yeah you speak of that. I, I saw an ad as I was going through doing prep for the show. There was something at fifteen percent annuity. <laughs> Guaranteed. No risk of loss, fifteen percent return, and and it was yeah, no joke. Yeah, you're, Jim's got this you know furrowed eyebrow look at, at me right now, and with with good reason because if somebody doesn't have any risk in the investment that they are or in the investment they want you to partake in, then there really should be no additional return. It doesn't even make any sense. But that's that's Wall Street, right? Uh, John John Hancock Regional Bank Fund was number six in line, negative 24% return. And of course, yeah, you did kind of have a little bit of a rough run with banks, which is supposed to be your safe investment, right? Putting your money in the bank. And a fund that invests in banks going down 24% may tell you a little bit of something about you know the, lev the level of safety that can be, oh, fleeting, let's say, when it comes to banks. Now, when you have FDIC insurance, you get your money back 
But I've seen times when we've had banking crisis in the past, uh, specifically here in Nashville, when I first moved here, we had some issues where people's money was locked up for a long period of time. They couldn't get it back and they did get it back, but they got it back not with the interest that they were expecting you know, on the investment, number one, and they had a period of illiquidity. And, you know, so that that can happen where you have significant risk with fixed income investments, not just inflation risk, but just risks of liquidity that can, that can be out there as well. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back right after this. I'm going to talk a little bit more because uh, I don't mean to scare people about banks or anything like that. I'm, I have plenty in banks and, and I tell people FDIC insurance, make sure that you have your, your accounts. Don't go above the insurance limits. There are ways that you can actually uh, go out there and do an FDIC calculator, uh, you know, and see how much, because different, there are differing amounts of insurance on bank accounts based on how the account is set up. For example, if it's a joint account, there'll be differing amounts of insurance versus a single account. If you have, uh, if you have TODs or transfers on death, uh, beneficiary designations, so to speak, on the bank accounts, that can change the amount of insurance. And if you're curious as to whether you're actually covered, you can go out there. There's an FDIC calculator, insurance calculator. I think if you just do a search for that, you'll find it. I've actually talked about it before here on the show. Let's do this. We'll take a quick break and be right back after this. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area, and everything we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get an initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Let's just finish this little talk that we're having here about the worst performing mutual funds for 2023. There was, uh, I don't even know what what this what website this came from. It was something, I guess it was smart money. Yeah, no, it was, it was Yahoo. Yahoo Finance actually had this article on the worst performing mutual funds for 2023. And hopefully you didn't have any of these funds. We certainly didn't. Because uh, they all have one thing in common. What do you think that one thing in common that they all have, Jim? What is that? Besides the poor performance. Yes. <laughs> um, gambling and speculating, possibly. I with think your money. you nailed it. <laughs> I think you nailed it. Yeah. It's uh, when, when Jim talked about, and we talk about market efficiency, not engaging in stock picking or market timing or using past performance as your criteria for purchase you know, of a mutual fund or a stock or an area of the market you think is going to do well. It's anything that you've got a crystal ball approach. If your investing approach needs a crystal ball or a prediction about the future, it has failed already. So number five on the list of the worst performing mutual funds. Oh, Voya, the squirrels are really mad again. <laughs> Voya Multi-Manager International Fund. Ouch. And we're seeing, you know, 
Oh, oh, number four again, Voya, small cap opportunities fund. And small caps, I mean, good grief, that was a big year-end jump in that market segment. Yeah, well, Negative international funds, yeah, did, you know. Well, small caps in general had yeah. a decent right, you know, right. return that's, that's, for the Those year. are both back-to-back -back surprises. I'd be curious to look at the, the holdings and things. Yeah, negative 25.6% return was the return on the fund, small cap, Voya Small Cap Opportunities Fund. Uh, then you have the next one was the next, our third worst performing, the ultra short Japan Pro Funds investor class. Now, a couple mistakes with this particular one that I see that I, I think we ought to point out, the things that we want to make sure that we don't do as investors. Japan ultra short Pro Funds investor class, negative 36, almost a negative 37% return. Two mistakes that you see. Well, I mean, what I was thinking um, is uh, that's the type of fund that I expect to see on this list, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're they're betting against stocks and they're ultra, so they're probably using leverage or, or things like that. And, you know, there's, there's different characteristics that can, if it goes wrong, it goes really, really wrong. And some of those other funds are just being surprising in that it sounds like, and I haven't looked at those funds in general enough to just seem like, well, multi-manager international fund, how did it do that poorly versus just market returns? And it took multiple managers to, to do that poorly. So that's the type of fund with, with several factors that, you know, maybe if they hit the lottery, then it does well. But if they don't and it goes against them, they get outsized losses. Yeah. So to answer the question as to why it did so badly, let's take the international at first. The reason being is that they focus so much on Taiwan uh, semiconductor, of course, the big news of 2023. And that is what drives markets. You don't know when a piece of news comes out and basically says, hey, you know what? We're a little bit worried about China coming in and taking over Taiwan. You know, so you can understand why a company's value, if it is a large part of a portfolio, would hurt a mutual fund if they're holding too much of it. Now, the problem there is concentration, yeah. concentration risk. You're overly con concentrating on single stocks inside of a, of a portfolio. That's the problem there. Small cap opportunities fund, in that particular instance, they had a lot of uh, healthcare, industrial, and information technology companies that happen to be negatively impacted by 2023 events. So you look at that and go, okay, so there's another another issue where they're focusing on certain sectors and we've already covered why sectors are a problem when investing and they're and the the funds are sold as these managers are really really smart mm -hmm. and they're going to use their massive research capabilities and their vast staffs and computing prowess and their vast experience to pick the best stuff and add return avoid risk or both mm -hmm. And, you know, and what happens now, not all losses are that extreme, but over time, that's what's more likely to happen. Yeah, for sure. Because of that gambling me mentality that's going on there. Now, the other fund that I said there were two problems with, let's go back to back that to for that. a quick second. Yeah. It was the ultra short Japan pro funds. Two problems. Number one, focusing on a single country. Anytime you're looking at a single country, again, you're concentrating risk because the reality of it is we want to be broadly, broadly diversified. You don't, you never know when something's going to happen that negatively affects a, a particular country. Maybe war, 
I mean, look at Ukraine, look at, at Russia, look at, uh, you know, well, you could look at China and you know Taiwan again, uh, the possibility of China going in on Taiwan saying, hey, you're ours. Um, Japan is quite close. What happened to Greece a few years ago? Uh, oh, sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Anything like that. So that's one thing. Another thing, ultra short. So when you're talking about shorting a stock, you're betting on its demise. You're, you're betting on it going down. So you could actually have a mutual fund that is investing in and shorting investments. In other words, betting that they'll go down. And if they go up, they have to cover their shorts. And then they lose their shorts when they do that. <laughs> it's not good. Uh, but negative 36, almost a negative 37% return. That is basically what happened right there. So, And you well, see that word ultra in a fund too. That yeah. likely means they're trying to multiply whatever the effects that they're going after. They're trying to multiply using leverage or yeah. know, stuff like that. So it can make it even worse. In this case, it did. Yeah. And, and you know, really, this is why you can't just ignore things because you know when you look at how investment managers and investment advisors put portfolios together we were in this industry jim and i were in these side of the industry that sold these things forever and it was the major part of the industry the big broker dealer firms investment firms uh it's, it's all of us come from the banks uh the brokerage firms the the mutual fund companies even and this is not the exception to the rule as how the industry operates. It typically tends to be the rule. Uh, matter of fact, I actually got a um, an invitation this week on uh, one of my social media platforms that says, <laughs> your background, Paul, is perfect for our company. Huge, huge investment company that does a tremendous amount of marketing on TV all the time. Their ads are great. They're just absolutely so... Um, you know, when when I watch their ads, I go, yeah, man, that's what I want a financial advisor to do. For, that's the relationship I want to have. It's really, really good ads. And yet, that is a firm that I know very, very well exactly what they do when they manage portfolios. And this is the kind of stuff that you see in their portfolios. They were advertising for a, uh, a, a portfolio manager. And they were looking for somebody that helped make these decisions. They said, you're... you're <laughs> background is perfect for us they're saying you know we want you and i'm sitting there going i told my wife i says i said man you know that'd be a fun job if i actually thought that i could change the culture <laughs> hey this is paul winkler hope you enjoyed today's edition of the investor coaching show if you want to learn more about what we do go to our website paulwinkler.com you can watch some of the videos there and if you're not already a client you can set up a free initial consultation until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more competent investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.